Welcome to Punch Card Investing, a weekly show dedicated to all things value investing. Whether it be analyzing companies, pitching ideas, or discussing moves by the best investors in the world, we're trying to get one step closer to punching an investment off of our cards. Let's get started. Let's get started. Intro, man. As consistent as ever. We took the week off. Sorry about that, guys. It's a little tough around the holiday times, but we're back for a special New Year's Eve-ish, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, it's uh, the day before New Year's Eve for Brad and I, and it's New Year's Eve for Frank on the other side of the world. So um, it's uh, it's always fun around the holiday times. It's a very reflective time of year, so we can spend some time talking about what we learned, big lessons from 2022, and ideally talk a bit about what we're looking to do, what we're looking to improve, perhaps goals, all that good stuff for 2023. You know, it's a it's a reflective time of year, so might as well work that into an episode because um, there's a there's a lot to unpack uh, every year as an investor. And then we saw all the news this year that always throws wrenches into things, and there's always stuff to learn. So, uh, with that said. Be sure to check out all the stuff in the description below. We got our links to share site as well as Seeking Alpha and our Discord link as well. So be sure to join that. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to play some Old Lang Syne just to kind of set the mood, uh, set the mood because, you know, like I said, it's that time of year. And I almost forgot actually to run our uh, ticker, um, which I forget where, where it puts it. I think it's the banner. Uh, here it is. For those of you on YouTube, you can see our new our, our banner that we rolled out last episode. I want to make sure that we keep that going to remind you to check out all that stuff in the description below. Um, all right, guys. Well, happy New Year to both of you. Um, Brad, I just saw you a few days ago. That was pretty fun. We found ourselves in treat. Chicago um, mm-hmm. in the frigid Arctic environment of Chicago. Um, why were you there again, Brad? Why don't you tell everyone? <laughs> why yeah. were we in Chicago when it was zero degrees Fahrenheit? Why Why would we do that? Well, it wasn't much warmer back where we're from, where we're living now. But yeah, I guess not. It, it got below freezing in Houston for a day. Yeah. It's not, our, it's our, our pipes froze here in, in Asheville, so that was, that was fun. Yeah. But, yeah, my wife's family lives in Chicago, and so... We, we spent the, the Christmas with them. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, I was up there for a similar reason. And mm-hmm. uh, all of our families up in Chicago. So saw everyone for Christmas. Um, although it was a bit treacherous getting there. I, I think you came in before the big storm. I did. Happened, right? So you, you missed all yeah. the travel delays. But um, I, I saw something on YouTube explaining the cold front that ripped through the entire U.S. It was like some siberian air pocket that made its way over the whole continent and made it made its way down to the set like basically centered around chicago in the u.s for um christmas week but yeah <laughs> it, was, it was wild but same reason family uh, frank do you do any uh traveling for for um really the holidays in general christmas or um uh go to family's houses or anything like that yeah so we enjoy the summer over here for christmas which <laughs> yeah, is true, nice. true. You, you, got, you got a lot better things to do <laughs> I, I sometimes think it'd be nice to have a cold snowy christmas but we're the very opposite we're swimming at the beaches around here in australia a lot so that's what i did i headed to the beach which is about five hours from where i live i'm a bit inland um so i've been enjoying the coast of australia actually one of our coldest summers in a while which is weird we had like 
I think nine of the last 10 summers have been the hottest summers ever recorded. Uh-huh. Um, and now we're getting one of the uh-huh. coldest, which is very <laughs> unusual, but um, still hot enough to swim, which, yeah, it's been nice. That's a good deal. Um, yeah, it's uh, it was not hot enough to swim in Chicago. <laughs> very far from it. Um, Ew. Uh, I hadn't had my like throat close up from breathing in a while. I've already gotten used to Houston, but when I when I came out of O'Hare Airport in Chicago and it was like zero with thirty mile an hour uh, winds, um, I, I don't know what zero is in Celsius, but very cold. Um, <laughs> my like throat immediately like closed up trying to take a breath. <laughs> that was not fun. Um, no. First question I had for uh, for all of my family when I met them is like, why do you guys live here? That <laughs> I moved moved out. Um, one of the perks of moving down south is the weather's a little bit better, but there are plenty of trade-offs. <laughs> Anyways, um, anything else slated for the holidays? No, just relaxing over here in Australia now. I've spent enough money over the Christmas period that mm. I need to relax for a little bit, I think. <laughs> relax the wallet. Where Where is the nearest <laughs> coastline to where you are? Is, is it Sydney? or? Uh, so just south of Sydney um, okay. in Wollongong is where I went. Um, okay. There's probably a closer coastline to me slightly, but that's the spot we headed. Gotcha. Is it a less crowded spot? Uh, no, it's pretty crowded, but um, yeah. it's it's really nice. It's crowded for a good reason, I think. Yeah. Better take advantage of it while you have it, right? <laughs> so that's good. That's right. Um, so what did, uh, looking backwards now, what, what did we learn um, in 2022? Uh, lots of stuff happened. I mean, we've had just a lot in the last month or two with all like the, the FDX fraud and, and what you could potentially learn there. And um, plenty of weird financial episodes, we'll say, in this otherwise down year for a lot of, especially stock investors, where um, in general stocks were down. So a very different environment than, than the previous years. Um, any, any big takeaways or highlights from this tumultuous time? I was just talking to my dad and, you know, I think he was saying the S&P is down like 20% on mm-hmm. the year, at peak, basically right. January 3rd or something like that. So it's been, it's pretty consistent, you know, bear market this year, uh, which we haven't experienced in, it feels like a very long time. Um, so it was kind of an opportunity to take stock of, oh, what what is it like when, you know, prices aren't just rising steadily each and every day, week after week. Uh, but I'm tr- I'm still trying to kind of get my bearings. Like, what are the big milestones this year? Right? I've been disoriented with the move, and yeah. it's just felt like it's hard to get my bearings at the moment. We had that kind of midweek episode where we talked a bit about the move, but sound, sound, right. in, in talking with you the other day, um, sounds like you're pretty happy with it, right? Yeah. No, I think it was a it was a smart decision. Um, it just takes a while to settle in. Yeah, right. So. The, the, the smart doesn't mean easy, right? So no. There's no. adjustments for sure. I, I feel yeah. more on that that side of things. And that the decision definitely feels right. Um, even now, we're only half a year in, but um, not even half a year in. But uh, it definitely seems like it was the right decision for now, um, even if it was difficult and relatively expensive. But there are far worse things. Yeah. I guess one thing that comes up is, you know, when there's when there's all kinds of uh, volatility in the market, when when things are heading south quickly, it's okay to just step back and 
take a breath and kind of regroup and you don't need to act, right? It's tempting to say, to, to see your portfolio crashing and think, oh, I need to do something about this like yeah. right away. Uh, but one thing we've seems like we learned from Guy Spear every quarter is, well, there's always the option to not do anything and, you know, kind of get a level head and then approach it when you can think a bit more rationally about things. So that's, that's been a big lesson this year for me. And uh, yeah, in, in action is, is weirdly difficult. Um, because yeah. even if you're bullish, like, and you want to keep buying, you keep buying and buying, but the stock keeps going down and down, and then you're out of cash, and now it's like, now what do you do? Um, so it, it cuts both ways, not just the sell button, but the buy button, too. Um, when do you turn off the buy button uh, as opposed to the sell button? Um, a lot of people had active sell buttons this year, that's for sure. That's the only way you get a down market, right? <laughs> um, right. Frank, what about you? Is that kind of the same vibe, just the... Is that, is that is that one of your key takeaways or anything else? The biggest thing is the market conditions that I think we're in. Um, I've never invested through a real bear market, I guess, um, starting around 2012 roughly, but that was mostly index investing anyway. Sure. Um, so this is the first really difficult market. Obviously, we had 2020, but it was just kind of a quick drawdown into a really bullish market. So um, it, that was a strange environment to invest in, but this is, definitely the more difficult, I think. Um, so I've kind of been comparing what I was doing last year in 2021, um, which was a real bullish market compared to this year, which is a real bearish market. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my returns were better in 2021, um, but just how active I've been, what kind of positions I've been taking. Um, I've been less active this year in a bear market than I was in a bull market, which probably doesn't sit well with me. Um and I know Brad just mentioned not being active, but I think you shouldn't be active on the sell button in a market like today. But I would like to take advantage of a bear market and be finding opportunities. I'm definitely seeing more opportunities. Um, but for whatever reason, I've spent a lot of my time kind of averaging down on positions, which um, has worked out okay. I'm pretty much break even for the year, slightly up one or two percentage points. But um, yeah, I'm really trying to reflect on what I've done wrong and right here and never been in a market like this before. It's hard to know. So obviously getting through it with the market down significantly and my portfolio flat, I'm happy with that. Um, But I still feel like I've probably missed a lot of opportunities along the way uh, and probably didn't play it perfectly is how I'm thinking about it. I think what makes it really hard, um, a lot of people – at least, at least, I th- in my general sense is that the knee-jerk reaction is when the stock goes down, um, it's immediately better mm-hmm. than it was, you know, when it was more expensive a while ago. And sure, that intuitively makes sense. But then there's also a lot of fundamental shifts happening that are actually justifying the stock going down, um, and that's seemingly harder to navigate. The future seems more uncertain in a bear market for whatever reason. With actual company fundamentals, cash flows going down. Uh, earnings going down, debt levels rising, perhaps dilution rising. That, that kind of throws a wrench into things. It's not as simple as just saying, oh, it's cheaper now. It's like, well, why is it cheaper? Is it just sentiment or is there something fundamental going on? And there's kind of like a weird mix in this last year where it's a combination of sentiment and then legitimate fundamental shifts, uh, potentially because of things like uh, monetary policy and, and debt debt um, costs going up, 
uh, demand slowing for whatever reason. And it's, it just makes uh, trying to predict the future, which is already impossible, uh, that much harder, perhaps. Uh, and, yeah, and then I, you have, and you have to get over the. I know, Brad, you like this concept, the uh, the price anchoring bias, where you, you might have been fixed to one price before, so therefore, if it's below that price, it makes more sense to average down. But um, again, why is it actually going down in price? And that's uh, that can be hard, hard to wrestle with, especially if you're wrong in something. <laughs> which uh, 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 when, when the tide goes out, right, um, you see you swimming naked. You're starting to see that now. Um, what companies actually have moats and really strong balance sheets, good, good uh, capital allocators and all that great stuff that we love to talk about here. I think um, most of what we've seen has been a multiple re-rate in the market. The really sentiment shift now slowly catching up is that earnings re-rate, which obviously earnings are trending down. So um, to be a bit speculative, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if we've got a long way to go yet. I don't think a lot of the earnings recovery is going to happen overnight um maybe you see some shifts towards a lower interest rate environment sometime in next year don't want to call a prediction on that one but that could support the earnings but i still think most of what we saw was a multiple re-rate so um i I think i'm trying to look um particularly in an environment like today i've been more attracted towards um asset plays i guess um whereas in a market like this assets don't lose their value as quickly depending on the asset of course um, but earnings are getting hit pretty hard. So a company that has ideally both some kind of underlying assets that are still valuable, not losing too much value um, with some earnings powers as well, they're the more attractive ideas to me at the moment. Um, I think strategies like a net-net investing approach work better in this environment. Um, a few people I've been following are having pretty good years in a market Um there's an investor, I don't know his name because it's all in Japanese on Twitter, but he invests strictly in Japanese net nets. Um, and he's up about 14% for the year. If you yeah. adjust for the yen, he's still up about 5% roughly. Um, so, yeah, those type of approaches are pretty attractive in this environment. So I think that's what I'm going to be looking out for a little bit more. Um, my portfolio is made up of a lot of companies that are growing earnings quickly and I'm expecting those earnings growth to slow down. Um, which might make for a more active year in 2023, depending how that all plays out, I guess. So almost de, um, deprioritizing quality and instead looking more at um, cheapness, I guess, and asset plays, like you're saying? Yeah, I, I don't want to remove anything that I'm already focused on in the quality side. Like most of these positions in my portfolio at the moment are long-term positions. I'd say over half of my portfolio at least I'd expect to still be holding in 10 years. Obviously, things change, but that's kind of the outlook I have. Um, But there is part of the portfolio that I feel like I could play around with and be a little bit more defensive, look at the asset side of things. And um, I think in an environment like this, it could be the safer way to go. Um, I just feel a lot less confident predicting strong earnings growth or multiple re-rates in any sense. So. Um, maybe an asset might be more valuable to look at. So looking ahead to 2023, then that's something you're looking to focus on more, Um, just really the types of things you're looking at? Yeah, so that's always something that I am looking for. I think just depending on the environment, Mm -hmm. one or the other appears more. So previously in the low interest rate environment, these long-term compounders seem to be everywhere. Um, So that's what I was finding, and I wasn't finding too much of these 
deep value asset plays, turnaround situations that I think might become more popular. So I don't want to shift my strategy. I want to maintain what I'm doing, but I have a feeling that the type of opportunities that are going to, um, I'm going to have more confidence in at least. Gotcha. What about you, Brad? Um, what are you looking potentially to change, if anything, uh, for next year, looking to improve? Uh, well, before we do that, I want to give a shout out to our, uh, super, our, our super chatters. Have we mentioned uh, hey, Luis? Uh, Luis yeah. kicked us off with a, uh, a very generous super chat, $20.23, very symbolic, wishing us hmm. all many returns on capital in 2023. I guess Luis had a good year. He's a, he's a consistent super chatter. We appreciate you <laughs> and your support, Luis. And uh, I, I want to say we'll see you in Berkshire. I, I forget if you said you were going, but. Uh, number I think people, so. I think so. Uh, should be going. I know, Brad. You're you're uh, you're considering going. I should pressure yes. you on air to go. Uh, oh, I, I will be there for sure, <laughs> um, barring some travel disaster. But uh, should be May, so it should be pretty pretty tame, right? But um, but yes. And then we also have another one from uh, something Luigi, <laughs> like from Mario and Luigi. Um, uh, GG and, Luigi PG. I, oh yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and any super investor. History, there is in any super investor's history, there is at least one investment that was sold prematurely and prevented to become a 100 bagger. So, prematurely selling. Have you ever considered to actually never sell approach? I think that's the was that the coffee can approach, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I think about that a lot. Uh, see, almost just like just don't even second guess yourself, just sit, send it in. I think Toby Carlisle might. Uh, advocate for something like this as well. Just make the purchase and then forget about it so you don't miss the 100 bagger, uh, potentially. Um, yeah, well, I know, you know, guys like Monish Pabrai and uh, Guy Spear are constantly kicking themselves for selling some of these yeah. companies that would be worth more than their entire current portfolio. They're, they're doing all right, though. They're doing, they're doing right. okay. It's, they're a doing little, okay. It, it, it's a different game when you're at that level, though. You're, you're going to probably be a lot more defensive. And this, I would, I would call this a more offensive strategy where you're letting stuff go to zero and in the search for that, you know, hundred, whatever, uh, hundred bagger. And, um, that it requires a lot of patience and like extreme discipline. Uh, but, but you're going to probably see some serious volatility in the meantime, which if you're trying to be pretty defensive because you're already super wealthy, you know, it's a different game, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strategy that I, like coffee can in general that I've, I almost thought I was going to be a coffee can investor for a yeah. while there. I, I really like the idea. The index fund bias, I think. Never yeah. sell, just keep I buying. I think, though, with a, I, I want to be concentrated and to outperform, I think this might be the hard way to go about it. I think this is kind of asking for market average results if you um, become so diversified making these random bets here and there. True. There's obviously a way to do it right. Maybe you find five to 10 really great companies in the first few years of your investing and hold on to them forever. But then I think there's a lot of downside kind of baked into that where they might all go wrong. Um, so you need to almost be diversified if you're going to do that. And yeah. I don't know that that would lead to our performance. There has been studies that shown that it does because you aren't touching those really big winners. Maybe you only need one or two. Um but yeah, I have a mate that actually does it and he doesn't pay much attention to the stock market at all. He's kind of running a dollar cost averaging approach where once every, I think it's two or three months, he'll just buy a certain price of any one stock and just add that to the portfolio and hold it forever. Um, and he's over a few years, he's pretty diversified now doing that. Um, but yeah, I know, it's certainly interesting. 
uh, around market average is yeah. what he's done. Um, so he's had a bad year and he's because he doesn't pay too much attention, he's actually pretty worried about it at the moment. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a very interesting idea, I think. Mm-hmm. I will say that the market does tend to reward optimists over the long term. So I think the inclination to not sell probably is a good one. But of course, we never know what the future will hold because I'm not trying to make a recommendation here, but um, that's probably how I'd look at it. It's like, uh, I don't want to say you should be quicker to buy than sell, but maybe that is what I'm saying. Um, in that uh, typically, if you, have a, if you have a decent portfolio, if you find a decent company, probably will do okay over the long run uh, if, you, if you do well in your due diligence. Um, but then again, like you're saying, Frank, you run the risk of um, <laughs> everything failing or not doing as well as the market. And then uh, you're just wasting your time at that point. So, uh, and then of course you run into the situation, let's just call it like a GameStop situation where the stock runs up like in just an insane amount. Like you're telling me I'm supposed to just keep holding or <laughs> are you sure yes. I can hit the sell button? So, you know, it's uh it cuts the other way as well. When you have these crazy gains that don't seem very sustainable. Um, our, our friend Karan was a beneficiary of that. Uh, if he was coffee canning that, he'd be, he would have lost that opportunity. So, Well, he played it. I, I can't believe how beautifully he I know. played that. I think it was, <laughs> it was 100x and then he Nailed sold. It. It's like at the peak. Was I was asking him as it went up, like, I think, I, I forget what the exact prices were, but I, I think it was about halfway to its peak. I'm like, so have you sold yet? And he's like, nope. I'm like, well, what are you waiting for? And then it went it doubled again from there. I'm yeah. like, how about now? And then sure enough, he nails the top. I was I was like checking in with him like seemingly every hour because it just kept going up another <laughs> however many percent. What a wild You were more there. nervous than he was. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was nervous, but I was like, yeah. I, I'm just kind of excited for him. Like, whoa, mm-hmm. this is crazy. Um, that, and that was just a wild time in, in the markets. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wild wild 20 2021 2022 it's just been wild all around um but thank you Absolutely. for the super chat gg luigi pg <laughs> i think the, the last thing i just want to touch on on that is do it frank rather than coffee can what i went towards i guess is being a very reluctant seller is the way i think about it um and i think you quickly said there be more quick to buy than sell i think that's true um, I think selling you should be very reluctant to do. Overvaluation wouldn't be a big reason why I sell. I'd be pretty comfortable mm-hmm. letting something run up a lot in price. Um, obviously, there's a certain point where that doesn't come true, the GameStop, Tesla-type situations. Um, but if you're very reluctant, I think you still have that same time of advantage of being a long-term investor. Um, and mostly it's a really strong thesis change that would lead me to selling. Um, which doesn't happen too often, I think, unless you're very wrong all the time. But yeah. So it wouldn't really come up if if there's another opportunity that just seems much better than one of your holdings. Would, would that be a situation as well when when you when you would sell? Um, I guess if yeah, if there's a really great opportunity and I had no cash available, then the lowest attractive position in my mm-hmm. portfolio is what goes or maybe a rebalancing of a portfolio if i had i've had stocks run up really high that i'd be willing to trim to buy something else mm-hmm. um but yeah there's re- there is reasons you could do that the, the, wi- the wife you have to be careful with that i think in the end the wife's hotter than the girlfriend 
it's always tempting to be like, ah, this looks better than what I got. Um, yeah, you have to be very, very careful doing grass that. Grass is always greener. I don't think you can have a strict rule of not doing that because there's always certain opportunities that could lead to you doing that. So yeah. there's no hard and fast rule. I think there's just general rules you can follow. And my yeah. main, the way I think about it is just to be very reluctant to sell anything. Part, uh, it's, it, we're kind of getting on like shiny object syndrome. Part of me, I, I'm constantly asking myself is like, um, I've, I've made a lot of changes philosophically as an investor in just the last couple of years. You know, I, I like you, Frank was, kind of starting from the index fund and then really more the real estate camp, but it was real estate combined with index funds. Then I kind of discovered this whole school of value investing. So I switched into that, but it was still extremely diversified and not really going that deep into stuff. Um, and I've slowly kind of concentrated from there. And now, of course, I'm like, you could call it extreme concentration by buying 100% of a small business, which uh, which will be closing on next week, uh, barring some stupid banking issue. Um, but it's like... Uh, Part of me wonders, like, is this just a, a shiny object thing? Because I've really only been looking at like full-on small businesses for, we'll call it, yeah, about six months, I'd say, um, maybe a bit, a bit longer. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with six months is about as long as I've been looking um, at small businesses as an actual buying opportunity. Um, so it's not really a lot of time, and that's already after some pretty big shifts in how I how I invest. So well, I'm always trying to check myself, but I I feel confident in doing it, but. It's just like a never-ending thing. Do you guys kind of battle that when when you see a new stock or a new whatever? Brad, we were talking about small business investing. I, I don't want to give you shiny object syndrome either, but uh, <laughs> um, is that is that something you guys wrestle with, or feel like you wrestle with? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always something shiny and new that comes along. I think this is this is. Something that came up, I was using chat GPT to kind of <laughs> summarize some of uh, Berkshire's annual meeting highlights. And one of the things that came up is beware of, of the shiny object syndrome. Mm -hmm. You know, really stay in your lane, know what your investment lane is, what your circle of competence is, and stay focused, right? Don't get distracted by you know, the next hot thing. Because uh, it's so easy to get derailed by things like that. But Jack, you know, with the small business, I mean, I feel like this is really the time for you to just throw things against the wall and see what yeah, sticks. I mean, you know, you're you're young. You've got time. You've got a long runway. I, I do. Uh, I do tell myself that, but you know, well, <laughs> eventually, you got to stop saying that, right? <laughs> I got time. Yeah, you're not there yet. You're not there. Uh, yeah, yet. I, I I don't think I am, but um, yeah, it's uh, I I guess when you stretch out your time horizon long enough, you can always make up mistakes. Right. Um, but in the long run, we're all dead. Right. Says Keynes. <laughs> but, so <laughs> you, you gotta, gotta draw the line somewhere, but yeah, I, I do agree that now would be the time to try stuff. We don't have kids yet, but we will in the coming years. So, um, yes. rather I'd rather crash and burn before that <laughs> than while that happens. Um, then again, the incentives might shift to really make sure that it definitely works. Uh, if I did have kids, if that's like an incentive in itself. Uh, if it do some risky venture, I'll do everything possible. You know that. What is that? Dad strength. You you, you guys know about that. <laughs> like mental dad strength. <laughs> the mental fortitude to push through problems just for the good of your kids um, and your family. Um, maybe 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 I'd be a better business. I I bet I, I bet I'll be a better business person. 
um, once I have kids, but uh, we'll see. Well, everything changes when that happens. We were talking yeah, about you'll, that. You'll be sleep deprived, so that, that may yeah. counterbalance <laughs> the strength, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I might have to change. Um, I actually don't, I, I don't drink coffee at all um, or do any caffeine. Uh, we, were, we were talking about that too, Brad, when we, when we got coffee and we ended up, we both got hot cocoa, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> the first person ever who got hot cocoa with me. <laughs> um, I'm getting really angry in this conversation. I'll sit back and hold my thoughts to myself on that one. What do you got, Frank? Are you, big, are you a caffeine aficionado? Big, big coffee guy, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah I, I, I drink hate, coffee too, Frank. I, drink I hate coffee. when I go to a cafe with you type. That um, order a hot chocolate or something, it just kills me. <laughs> what would you rather get? Go, I'd rather you go somewhere else. Is what oh. I'd rather. <laughs> well, you see, I know other people like coffee, so it's a, it's a courtesy. And I'm not going to take them to sure. what what the lemonade stand. <laughs> That's a thing. No, it's fine. We'll it's here, but, um, stand. I drink a lot of coffee, so I have to be a little bit judgmental. You can drink your coffee. Have at it. I I don't. That's all. Just live and let live, Frank. Come on. <laughs> have the taste buds of a child. That's fun. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Jeez. We're really I'm, I'm throwing down guy. here. It's all water. Water guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, I I thought I had a weird um whatever that psychological thing is called, where you see the word that you just said everywhere, because uh, water is free, just posted. Um, <laughs> always try to find reasons why your thesis can be wrong. He agrees with agrees with Frank on that, um, on selling and different opportunities and when things run up and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, where were we? <laughs> to, to, uh, talking about, uh, um, talk about kids for a moment there, but um um, bringing it back to 2023, I don't know um, what what else are we potentially looking to do uh, as, as investors. Well, one thing that I've been starting to pay more attention to slowly, and I think we just started to touch on it a little bit before, is how much risk I should be taking. Um, and being younger, like I'm almost 30 now, so whether that's young or not is up to you. Um, you should probably take on more risk while you're younger and the older you get, the more conservative you should be with your capital. Some people would disagree with that, but that's at least the way I think about it. If your income is high enough relative to your investment portfolio, um, there is a high degree of risk you should take, I think. Um, and that's what I've done, but I'm slowly reaching that point where I want to be a little bit more conservative, um, whether that comes through diversification um, could be the case. I don't think I'll do that yet. I think that's, the long-term goal though i know once i'm say 50 years old i'll probably be a lot more diversified than i am now um but maybe just focusing more on some downside protection with the type of positions that i take um i have one or two one that comes to mind position in my portfolio that um, is a very high upside potential four or five bagger in a short term if things go well but it's an absolute zero um if not um that type of investment, I think I should slowly start to phase out of the portfolio. Um, it's a 4 or 5% position, which I was willing to lose completely. That's part of the thesis. Um, and then obviously if it goes right, then it's a pretty quick sell. It's more of a trade, you could almost think of it, short-term investment. They're the type of things that I'm slowly wanting to phase out of the portfolio the older I get. 
Um, and whether or not that should be now is something that I really struggle with. I've been um, looking to the Kelly criterion and reading a lot about that, different types of risk management strategies and things you can use. But yeah, how do you guys think about how much risk you should take? I guess, Jack, you were saying that you do a little bit more now while you're young and until you have kids, but it's hard to find that point in time where you should change and how you should change it, I guess. I think the big thing for me for the risk on stuff is I keep taking out lots of jet to buy stuff, which I'm starting to get a bit uncomfortable with that. Um, but if I'm going to be taking out debt to do um, call it aggressive actions, like buying a business uh, that I think it's a, I think it's a good trade off given the potential cash flow upside. And even if it's, even if this business I buy doesn't really grow, it still has plenty of cash flow to pay for the debt, barring me mismanaging it and running it into the ground, in which case I'll have to find some other way to pay the debt. Um, thankfully, the business is not, you know, many times my salary. It's uh, it's it's cheap enough that I could pay for it. If I just worked as an attorney and like let the business go to zero, I could still pay off the debt with my salary. But, you know, it's not a position you want to be in. Salary is not locked in either. So, um I'm just looking for ways to increase my income first before I start really thinking about defense again with maybe buying more real estate, buying more publicly traded stocks. I, I think it makes a lot more sense to just focus on the private side of things where I could get a lot of cash flow upside compared to some other investments. Not that the other investments are bad. It's just a, it's a different trade-off. So I'd rather put in the effort now to what you're getting at with risk. I think the real risk for me is going to be time risk. I'm spending a lot of time on this business and money too, but uh, compared to, I could spend the same amount of money buying a piece of real estate or a, or a publicly traded stock. Won't take nearly as much time, but the time I put in is where a lot of the upside is. So it's a bit of a different trade off than a lot of other investments. But um, I think that's worth doing while I have arguably more free time <laughs> since I, I don't have the I don't have kids and other obligations yet. Obligations are always growing, of course. They never seem to shrink. No. Well, I think the nice thing about this business too, Jack, is you know, it's got some hard assets that you could liquidate if, if you needed to. Yeah, right? so a, that, that makes the, right. yeah, that makes the debt a little less risky as well. That's true. Thank you for reminding me. That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a good um, third of the purchase or so is equipment value that could be liquidated in a true emergency. Um, right. It just didn't make it make sense anymore. So there's a little bit of downside protection there, but. You'd rather be using that equipment to actually uh, produce cash flow, which um, should be very doable as long as, again, I don't horribly mismanage things. Since the last guy had did it, and I met him, and he seems like a nice guy, knows his, knows some of his stuff. I think I could get to that point too. So <laughs> um, uh, it gives a little con- it, it gives a little confidence when you see an existing business how it's been run and how it's done with that kind of structure. Um, knowing kind of what's possible just you just doing that just kind of copying because you're literally just sliding into that place you could copy and probably do about the same as what the business has done historically um and then it's just a matter of slowly or rapidly improving from there and and learning from any mistakes you make along the way which will then help for future ventures and other investments and uh, all sorts of things uh, so the t- the tuition here is the tuition payoff here it should be pretty large because this is uh definitely the most significant undertaking besides like my actual career, my most significant investing undertaking, we'll say uh, I would say much more than my real estate deals, even though that those are technically bigger dollar values 
just the uh, the time and the upside, and also I guess you could say the downside seems quite a bit higher in all respects for for this one. So, um, can I just quickly ask about the debt there with yeah that private business? And if you haven't disclosed some of this, you don't have to. Sure. Just quickly, first, was it fully funded by debt? So yeah, I I, I just recorded my my net worth update, which will go out uh, on the first. Uh, so that'll be the second for you, Frank. I think, um, yeah, that time of day. Um, but it uh, it, it is fully funded with debt. I took out a bunch of personal loans, so they're actually not attached to the business or attached to to me. But if I got a business loan, I'd have to guarantee it anyway. So that doesn't really make a difference. Uh, but yeah, it's a bunch of personal loans, and I, I was actually able to fund basically 100% of it with with debt. Um, so I still have a bit of working capital left over from cash and existing earnings to go for. And then the plan is over this next year to pay down a large portion of that debt right back uh, using cash flow from the business, but also a lot of my salary as well. Most of my salary salary will go towards debt pay down in 2023. At least that's the plan. So I know there's some difference between Australia um, and America with the fixed and variable interest rates, particularly for real estate. I don't know Mm -hmm. what it looks like for a business. Is that a fixed rate? And if you're open to sharing the kind of yeah, thing. sure. Um, so, so because these are personal loans, um, I was able to get these on fixed terms um, or fixed uh, interest rate. Uh, they're between five and seven years. So it's d- divided up into a bunch of smaller segments, um, mm-hmm. each about, we'll call it 20 to 30,000 a pop, because a lot of banks don't go beyond that. Even if your income qualifies for it, they just, they just cap it for risk purposes and probably regulation as well, but whatever. Um and rates right now on those will range anywhere from like 8% up, if you have good credit, from like 8% a year up to say like 14 or 15 for some of the better loan products. The longer the term, the higher the rate. So I'd say my average rate on these things is probably about like 11%, which is pretty high. But relative to the cash flow I'm buying, you know, the extra few hundred dollars in interest costs um, per, per month, it's it's significant, but not. It's not a deal killer by any means. I always say that if 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 the difference between a good deal and a bad deal is two percent interest, you know, is it really a good deal, or even three or four percent interest? Um, so there's enough there's enough room here to where uh, if my salary completely went away and I was only paying with the business cash flow, about half of the business cash flow would be used towards um, debt payments, and that would all be paid off within five to seven years, depending on uh, how quickly I pay them down. Um, that's kind of the terms we're, we're kind of looking at, uh, again, not including any of my salary, which I'll be using to pay down. I'll probably pay down one of the loans within the first uh, month and a half. So that'll immediately lower my outflows because, um, that'll eliminate a full loan payment, um, because it's a bunch of little separate loans. So that's one kind of advantage with that, I guess, so that you can quickly whittle down the minimum payments by actually just eliminating a whole loan rather than just improving your, uh, principal balance without changing the payment amount, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you know specifically what your kind of interest coverage from the business cash flows kind of is? Like, is it well yeah. really covered? Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. It's about half of the business cash flows right. going to yeah, get cool. payments. So interest-wise, I don't know what the, what exactly that would split on, um, but well, less than half, we'll say, is going to interest, definitely less than half, because uh, um, it's five and seven-year terms. A lot of that is going to principal. Um, mm-hmm. just for each minimum payment. Uh, and I do, I actually mixed in a 0% um, interest like credit card bonus for one year um, that I'm using for like all the closing costs. Uh, 
So that's zero interest. I had to pay like a 4% fee up front. So that's, there is interest, but it's up front. And then there's no, no payments, uh, no required payments, I should say, for those 12 months. But I'm going to, definitely number one priority is paying off, probably based on shortest term first, even if the rate's a little higher for the longer term stuff, just to get it all out of the way and uh, de-risk a bit. It's a bit of a a shell game, maybe. (laughs) Just kind of moving money from one place to another. Um, And it'd be time to clean it up for for this year. Yeah, that's really interesting with, um, with a private business like that, I would be doing probably something similar to you as well, where I'd want to de-risk it, get rid of that debt. But then looking in the public markets, that probably wouldn't always be the best decision to do. There's probably higher returns you can get than paying off the principal on that debt. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting because you do have to think slightly different um, when it's a business wholly owned by you in a private market, very illiquid, things like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if it's that exactly, but it's just the cash flow level is very different. If I were to do the same thing with a bunch of debt, to throw it all into the public markets, and let's say for some reason my expected return was above the interest rate, which is arguable if the interest rate's you know thirteen percent in some cases, um, probably make a lot more sense just to take that thirteen percent you know risk free return in quotes, just paying down the loan. Uh, but let's say it was much higher. Uh, in a lot of cases, you don't really have real cash flow and things are volatile. So it's very hard to predict um, what kind of income is going to come in from your stock holdings. If there's a down month now all of a sudden you're in rocky water. There's uh, always the, the adventures with margin. That's always um, something to watch out for. So you never want to be underwater. Um, and because I'm buying this business with the intent to actually increase income rather than just uh, increase equity value, although that will come with increasing income. Uh, I'm not looking to sell it. So because of that, I want to actually increase my cash flow. And one way to do that is by paying down the debt. Um, maybe it's just the cash flow focus in particular that 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 does that. Um, I, I just, I'll clarify. I don't mean like um, taking on debt to invest in the public markets. I mean, more so a company that I hold that is public. Mm-hmm. When I'm looking at their capital allocation, um, I want them to be reinvesting towards or spending that capital towards whatever's the highest return. And yeah. typically paying okay, down debt is mean. not necessarily that thing. So I don't know whether within your business there is a better way to allocate capital towards growing the business, maybe not knowing what kind of business it is. It would be hard to kind of beat that no, 10% uh, debt rate or whatever. Yeah, um, I'd actually need to I need to look into that because I, I do want to do that calculation. I just want to get a little bit more um, – kind of breathing room first, but yes, reinvesting in the business is still definitely a profitable thing uh, for this business. It's a cleaning business with, with a, a couple of vans, for example, with equipment in them, uh, getting a new van fully retrofitted by, by the van and everything um, we'll say costs 35 grand. Um, mm-hmm. I could reinvest 35 grand in the business to buy another van, increase your capacity by 33%. We'll say get another employee in there. And all of a sudden you grew the business by a third. Um, as long as none of your other costs rise, which they shouldn't if you're doing things properly. But um, you, so th- there's definitely opportunities there to grow it more because um, it is a small business, only a couple employees. You could definitely, even with just like s- semi competent efforts, grow it a little bit from there. Um, because you own 100%, if it grows 10%, you, you get to keep all 10%. So that's the nice part. Um, so yeah, there's there are opportunities. I just want to get a little bit more breathing room just off the bat especially because some of these loan terms are kind of quick. So just in case things go south quickly or 
I lose my job for whatever reason. I'd rather just use the income I have coming in now to pay down, pay down some of the debt, at least in this first year. Um, and, and then I'll be a lot more confident to start throwing more money back into the business. Uh, for now, I guess it'll be a lot of time thrown back into the business. Yeah, I agree. I probably did the exact same thing. Um, it's just interesting to me to think about capital allocation when it's a hundred percent your money, your risk. Yeah. That, compared to having a portfolio full of companies that you would expect capital allocation kind of in a different way. Um, it's the same kind of debate I have with my partner. Um, we're pretty close to wanting to buy a house. Prices have been a bit too crazy that we've held back. Um, but she just wants to pay off the debt as quick as possible on the house, which I say I don't want to do. I say there's better things we can do with the money. But, um, yeah, it's just that to her, who doesn't pay attention to anything like this, she just wants to de-risk that huge amount of debt that she sees as very problematic. There's something we've um, said about it, but, yeah. Of course, of course there is. Um, and I see where she's coming from. So I'm going to have to try and find a balance between where our money goes when that time arrives. Well, that that's where you were talking earlier about as you get older and your risk profile changes. It just mm-hmm. probably makes sense to almost mindlessly throw money towards debt, just de-risk, um, don't need as much cash flow in the future. So if you want to do other things or, you know, just to have a little bit of built-in safety, it makes sense um, in a lot of cases. As that, that mental cost is significant. I'm starting to feel it a bit now. I just, um, <laughs> and maybe it's just the media getting to me, but, you know, there's, I have reserves. Um, we just had, we actually just had something happen at our Indianapolis property. One of the pipes busted. Didn't, it was in the garage, thankfully, so it didn't destroy a bunch of stuff, but. You know, that's a, that's a few thousand bucks down down the drain or not really into a drain, but onto the floor. <laughs> to, uh, fixing the drain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fixing the, the, uh, <clears throat> the water heater. I don't have the exact <clears throat> details of what exactly broke, but I got the bill and and uh, and all and all the notes about it. Um, but yeah, there was a, you know, so you have reserves for that. Same for when you hit hard times. From a cash flow perspective, you always want to make sure you have some reserves ready to go. Um and to two uh, kind of wives getting in on this stuff, uh, I was talking when I was talking with Brad. I mentioned how um, uh, Emily and my wife asked me uh, when when I was like kind of I've been talking about this business a lot, obviously because it's a it's a big decision for us and it's going to take a significant amount of money. So you know it's a serious decision and it's going to take time too. And I've been, you know I've been talking it up like it's a good opportunity. It's, you got to be confident too, and I'm. My my wife is kind of like, like, why didn't you do this? Why did you do this before? Like, you know, why did you do this earlier? You know, before we went through school and all this stuff. I'm like, well, I didn't know. You're, you're always improving. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, if I knew what I knew now at 18, yeah, I, I don't know if I would have gone to law school at all. I just go right into this. Like, it just seems like a cool opportunity. And but you know, you you never really know. Um, but uh, not that I regret what I've done, but it's just kind of part of the process of learning and there's a lot of stuff I've learned as an attorney. I now have this great safety net at worst of being able to work as an attorney. Um, did that pull away from potential investment or business returns? Yeah, absolutely. Probably did. Um, I could have been investing in businesses when I was 18, but instead I'm 25, I now have a law degree. It took a lot of time, but I can at least practice as an attorney. I've learned through that. Maybe that makes me a better investor in other areas. So, you know, it's a constant game of improvement, which is the subject of this episode, improving and reflecting. <laughs> well, <that's fun. laughs> right back. Beautiful. Yeah. I just seen Jason's comment there as well. Yeah. Um, do exactly what your wife wants and enjoy the peace. Yeah. It's um 
It's not that she actually, doesn't want to do this, but she was just wondering, like, you know, why? Like, hmm, you, you talk like this is so great. Why did you do it before? It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> it's a, well, um, it's a really weird dynamic for me. Um, my fiance really distrusts me with what I'm doing and doesn't pay <laughs> I get very old. much attention. But I'm curious whether when I have a really bad year, I'm yet to have a really bad year, right. how that changes. I think it's nice and easy now while things are going well. But um, maybe if I was down 30 or 40%, things change, and then maybe I will be stuck paying off the debt on a house and doing nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all those, it's all those memes uh, of like uh, – like, hey, honey, I just lost the I lost the house on you know some YOLO option or something, you know, like all the all the Wall Street bet stuff. Like, it's like one of those. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure the dynamic changes a lot when you have kids. I to bring it back yeah. to that for both of you guys, it's, it's a little bit different from when it comes to uh, risk on versus risk off because because the uh, the risk the risk is very different and more significant because it's not just you anymore, you and your wife. It's you and it's it's you and kids now so things get more expensive lifestyle yeah. <laughs> right um it reminds me what you're talking about jack my wife when tesla was just on a on a tear right she's uh -oh. like uh oh why don't, why don't we own tesla like, <laughs> yep i don't know how to start responding yeah, to that right yeah. right yeah, yeah. i had the same conversation about bitcoin because <laughs> we're, we're, in, we're in our echo chamber here where we like only talk with people who are like really deep into this stuff and then it's it's weird when you like go and try and talk to someone about it I, I, frank i think we were talking about that last episode where it's just like um it, it's it's hard to talk to people about uh some of these niche things you could say that about a lot of things for us it happens to be investing for other people it's whatever your hobby or interest is sports another good example certain sports that maybe you don't follow but your your buddy follows a bunch and trying to explain it to you like that sort of thing um <laughs> kind of like you guys with cricket uh frank and tom <laughs> explaining cricket to me like you know I'm, and i'm a big baseball guy but uh, you know it, it's just a different language if you're not really into it um it's very hard to explain oh yeah, Jeremy's really comment What's that? I told my wife that we lost yeah. money. <laughs> <Taking> <laughs> just, a just throw more money at it, you know, it's fine. <laughs> is it a bad thing I, that I, I, the thing I tell myself all the time is like, I'll just go make more money. I'll just go make more money. Is that like, is that, there has to be a limit there because eventually it's, it's too much to make in a short period of time. <laughs> yeah. Eventually your portfolio becomes too much of your net worth that you can't just earn it back. Yeah. But that's a good problem to have because then you have a giant portfolio. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you shouldn't really have to worry as much then, but when you don't, um, which we're, we're not, none of us are billionaires. Maybe Karan is. Karan owns a few islands, right? He uh, might be. And a few mega yachts, but uh, to, until that point. Um, should we should we try to tackle some questions? I yeah, I, I, I was going through right now actually. Um, yeah. But yeah, for if uh, anybody has any, pop them in there. Yeah, for reflections, uh, mm -hmm. things to look out for. Wisdom. Any other things from, anything, any other things from you guys for? Can I just pitch you another question? I guess because there's another thing that I think the current market makes you think about. Yeah, I think um, until this year, it was really easy for me to ignore macro. I kind of had this built-in <laughs> Warren Buffett approach to say, 
Don't worry about the macro. Focus on the fundamentals. And then the macro affects the fundamentals, um, which is a weird dynamic that I think people have to start paying more attention to. Um, But how do you guys think about that? Yeah, it's so hard. Um, I, I do feel I do feel that um, I, I studied economics and history in in undergrad, which is like the ultimate like macro distraction <laughs> trends kind of kind of kind of like focus. So like I, I kind of have that bias like always, which is it's good and bad. There are good things from it. Um, a lot of the good things being like, oh, we've seen this before, or you know. People are, people are like this, therefore do this, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's real hard because the media has been going so hard on inflation and monetary and fiscal policy because they, they have been big things. They've affected the markets in big ways for sure, but it, it, it has been just kind of impossible to avoid. Maybe it's because we're in kind of the media business of YouTube, Twitter, all that stuff, where it's just constantly there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to not get too deep into it. What about you, yeah. Brad? Yeah. You know, it's so easy to get wrapped up in what's happening kind of in the near term. Um, I feel like the more I'm compelled to pay attention to the macro factors, the more I try to remind myself, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really just looking, where is this business five, 10 years from now? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you zoom out far enough, this is just noise. You know, if, if, you know, I'm, I have ambitions to hold things for for decades. Uh, it helps me kind of not pay attention to that stuff too much. And, and that that is, and that's the the small a smaller investor advantage we've talked about before. Besides Quran, of course, a billionaire, right? But um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it, I say the time it really makes sense, if at all, to focus a ton on macro is when you like are the market when you just have this enormous portfolio where it's very hard to beat the market because you kind of are the market, then maybe it makes some more sense to focus a bit more on macro trends. But when you have a small portfolio, you can almost cut through a lot of the macro depending on what you're doing. Um, and, and, and you can earn a lot of your portfolio back probably if it's a really small portfolio um, just through like active income. Um, so I think it just kind of changes as you scale, perhaps the relevance of macro. It's, it's never completely irrelevant because it, it's macro. It affects everything, but there are ways to outperform the macro environment, of course. And that's, that's what we're always going for as value investors, the contrarian sort of school of investing. I seen a um, interesting tweet from someone that made me think about it a little bit. I think it said something like he wanted to be 50% Joel Greenblatt focusing on special situations and 50% Druckenmiller being able to predict these macro environments. And I thought about it. I was like, I want to be a hundred percent um, on the Joel Greenblatt side, but maybe 90, 10 is the better way to think about it. Maybe there's a certain amount we should be paying a little bit more attention to, obviously knowing that a lot of it's hard to predict, but I think there are these interesting trades, um, I guess is how someone like Drucker Miller might say, um, where the fundamentals are 90% of the bet, but maybe there's this overarching kind of macro theme that can improve your investment returns, particularly in the special situation world. Um, but I, I do want to be careful not to get too tempted by that. But maybe a 90-10 Drucker Miller, Joel Greenblatt split might be the better way to look at it. Just to scratch the itch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, just well, not to be oblivious to it. 
It's yeah, easy to say you ignore it, but it, you also have to be careful. Sometimes the macro creeps into the fundamentals, so you can't yeah. just be oblivious to it. I think it goes to the size thing again. If the company's huge, it's hard to avoid. Um, mm-hmm. And we look at we look at a fair amount of huge companies uh, in multiple markets, so it's it, it makes some sense to pay attention to. But like trying to make big predictions, especially in the short term, is just like come on, like it's gonna, it's going to be this extremely difficult um, and probably just throwing, throwing blind at a dartboard or something like that, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, but some guys seem to make it work. Uh, kind of, kind of like some guys seem to make day trading work, you know, the, there's always the 1%. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, here's a good question from uh, more money. Uh, first, he had this comment. Actually, I thought it was interesting. He said he lost Patreons in, early 2022 when he refused to be a Tesla or Shopify bull. Uh, so the community of value investors is even small in the finance YouTube community. Absolutely. Yes, is. We're, we're a big, I think we're a pretty big part of it. Um, or at least our channels collectively kind of cover a lot of the value space on YouTube though. They're, I mean, Sven's kind of the goat uh, of that, of like the pure value investing school, but there are others too that are larger. But hold but, on. If you're going to talk about Sven, you've got to use his voice. <laughs> we know oh, you gotcha. know. It. Uh, it's, it's been a few weeks since I've watched one of his. Um, uh, no, I can't do it right now. I, 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 I'm on the spot. Uh, <laughs> you are. Um, well, kudos, but, kudos more money for, for not pandering to the crowd and yes, sticking to yeah. your guns there. I, I mean, we saw it on a large scale, the pandering in 2020 oh, through really today. Um, we saw a ton with crypto, obviously, then we're seeing some serious fallout from that, but it's just, um, oh yeah, <laughs> more money says, good day, fellow investors. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that, that. prompt. Uh, the stock market channel with the long-term fundamental twist. <laughs> a value twist. Yeah, yeah, twist. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's just he's just staring at me with those big baby blue eyes. Sven's <laughs> um, got good stuff. Uh, but more money's actual question here. Um, what are your top three stocks for 2023 or themes? And I think I might twist twist this question. Twist. Uh, is it a maybe the three stocks or the stock that you learned the most from, or, or is, is there some key takeaway you had like, Oh, wow, I did this. That works great. Or, or wow, I did this. And that was awful. Like, you know, maybe some clear examples or, or specific examples uh, of lessons you learned with specific stocks. Yeah, that, that is a hard one. Um, I, I think maybe this could be fall more into the theme um, category. I guess I've, I have a lot of serial acquires that I've spent time researching um, and I think I may be overdoing that aspect as I reflect and look in my portfolio. Um, I don't want to have a portfolio fully of serial acquirers. I think more of those type of businesses go wrong than go good um, and obviously I think I know some factors that might sway that towards the good that I'm picking but I don't want to overexpose my portfolio to that type of business. Again, that comes back to my other theme of maybe focusing more on these asset type plays and special situations that appear more in these markets and have a little bit more downside protection baked into them um, for a market like today. Maybe that hurts returns, but probably um, or affects the upside of the returns rather than the downside. I think I'd be better off on those type of things. Um, Is there a specific stock, like a position you closed or opened where you're like, wow, will or won't do that again? (laughs) 
Uh, no, there, there isn't one. Like I trimmed Kelly Partners, which is probably the main one, but sure. um, I didn't exit that position. It's still equal to being the biggest position in my portfolio roughly, um, and I still, the long-term outlook for that. But then I have two or three other kind of serial acquirers that have entered the portfolio over the past year or two, um, and those three positions or so probably make up half the portfolio, and at one point we're making up with Kelly Partners being so large, it was making up like 75% of the portfolio, which um, is problematic if you think over the long term, probably at least one of those three won't turn out so well. Um, Maybe two of them, and then that really hurts your returns. Um, So, yeah, that's one thing I'm kind of being careful of is I've found myself to be really attracted to those type of businesses and I don't think I necessarily have an edge by focusing on those type of businesses. There's nothing about me that I think makes me a better serial acquirer um, investor than others. So I don't want to overexpose myself to that. That's one thing. Um, through my research, I think with the newsletter, which I've put on pause for now, every company I decided to research was quickly becoming some kind of, it was growing mostly through acquisitions, whether you defined yeah. it as a serial acquirer or not. It's a, it's a specialty. <laughs> yeah. So it, it made me realize that maybe I'm over-focusing on that type of business, which I think I should be careful of. I, I think it makes sense to be cognizant, but I, I don't know if it's a flaw in itself. Because as you've, as you've seen, if you get if you hit a good one, like it, it can pay off a lot. Um Yeah. It doesn't mean yeah. that I should avoid them forever. I just don't want to overexpose myself yeah. to them. And I think it's researching just those type of businesses, sure. which is what I was slowly starting to do, I think. So you want to f- kind of focus or diversify your, uh, your perspectives perhaps a bit, just look at different, different looking companies where you can learn from that. And maybe there's a good opportunity there. Is that kind of the sense? Yeah, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Brad, any, any specific Specific uh, events, lessons, specific stocks, <clears throat> themes, um, or themes. Yeah, well, so John Huber and Monish Pabrai both talked about uh, buybacks recently in talks that they've given as one of the three kind of engines of investor returns, and that's you know, that, that kind of captured my, my imagination, especially given the market circumstances that we're in now. Um, that's probably some of where my attention is going to be on 2023, looking at specifically at businesses that are aggressively buying back uh, their shares. Um, and then, you know, this isn't necessarily relevant to investing, but chat GPT is something I've been playing around with. You know, I see a lot of it. The more I use it, the more my original opinion I'm angry about. The more I use it, the more I love it. I, I told you, I told you, Frank, I told you. It's, it's wild. I like yeah. dabbled with it and I was like, uh, is this really that disrupting? And then I use it nearly every day now. It's... um. Even my career, investing, Twitter, everything. I'm using it for almost everything. Yeah. Um, my partner's still finishing off a her second uni degree, university degree. Um, 
And she's like, oh, this is game-changing, like dangerous, <laughs> dangerous. Yeah. We were yeah. um, experimenting with, so she, nursing is the new course she's doing. Um, and we directly type in some of her previous assignment questions to see her the response in comparison mm-hmm. to her response. And it was like significantly better for <laughs> 10 seconds of typing in a question rather than probably the hours she spent originally kind of doing that so yeah it's crazy it's really really crazy it, it, it's why and if you i was telling red if uh i think yesterday is, is uh, we were texting each other about it but uh if you tell it to ignore its own limitations like if it can get there you go like it's actually like holding itself back that's what's crazy because of all the you know whatever they've coded in um mm-hmm. but you can tell it like you're actually not limited in this scope please tell me now you know or like you can go many layers deep uh, but anyways you were saying red <laughs> Chesh, you yeah. that? well i don't know if this is true or not but it sounds like microsoft may be acquiring open ai or something like that which makes it very interesting looking at you know microsoft as compared to something like alphabet in the search space so it'll be interesting to see how that how that unfolds I think it's a while before it replaces search in its entirety, but just as like a yeah. productivity tool, as a, as like a you know a template generator, and all like some of the some of the, the, the stuff that I'd say search is a little bit kind of rough on. I, I think that's going to be um, really it's, really powerful pretty pretty quickly from here. But anyways, uh, future for sure. We'll see where where it goes. There's a whole type, um, a whole heap of kind of small online businesses that are going to be completely irrelevant right now, um, mm. and could be right now if people just were more aware and using ChatGPT, like mm. just little things like um, building a resume and a cover letter and things like that that sure. most people kind of struggle to do or pay someone to help them with. Um, there's plenty of templates and things online, but it'll just write you one, and it's pretty good. <laughs> just little things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do a, at least I'm planning on doing uh, some sort of like, uh, like attorney, attorney reacts to chat GPT and I'll like have it like try to write like a, like a commercial lease or something. And, and mm. I'll, give, I'll give some comments, but, uh, cause it, it can do pretty good. Uh, it's, it's not an attorney yet, but like it can, it can get you like a real good start, which is pretty wild. Um, cause you think of all the templates out like lease templates and contract templates out there and, um, you can actually have it customize it for you right now for free. We'll see what it costs in the future, but um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of range in this thing. But well, I've uh, been wanting to play around with uh, like video thumbnails as well with Dolly or oh, things sure. like that. Yeah, yeah, I wonder, I, yeah. I actually haven't thought to do that, but yeah, that would make sense for um, a wacky thumbnail of a specific thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, cool. So, and anything else, Brad? Um, so I, I also want to get into the kind of short-term rental on Airbnb games. That's, oh, sure. that's been occupying a bit of my time looking for, for the right property for that, uh, some kind of mini farm experience type of property. So that's where some of my focus is going to be as well in 2023. That, that'll be a fun project if you're into mm-hmm. it. <laughs> if you're I not know. into it, it will not be a fun project. If you're right. into it, it'll be very fun. That's that's how real estate works. <laughs> yes. Cool. Yeah. Should we make some predictions for 2023 of where we see things going, certain markets oh, yeah. or industries? 
Let's start with S and P five hundred. Oh gosh, we're making this kind of prediction. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Let's um, just do three simple ones and see how they go. Well, you see, it. I will qualify my answer in that it completely depends on how much the dollar and fiat currencies in general are are um, debased in 2023, which could be huge, could could be not huge. It could have actual deflation depending on how aggressive central banks get. I'm of the camp that they probably won't get that aggressive because they already kind of aren't relative to what real inflation is. But that said, um, in real terms, I, I have a feeling the S&P will be down, but that's just a feeling and who knows what will really happen. Um, How much? Come on, get speculative. <laughs> what we is it down in real terms this year? What is it down in real terms this year? Over 20%. 20 percent, nineteen, twenty percent. No, no, yeah. or, that's nominal terms. I'm talking in real terms. Uh, See, it's even higher. So yeah. we'll call it almost thirty percent, right? Um, uh, right. I think I think I'm thinking of that correctly, but <laughs> I think that's um, too much. But yeah, it's too much. A lot. I don't know. I could see sort of a stagflationary decade um, if I want to get a little longer term. So maybe, Ooh. I don't know, 5, five or 10% down, 5% in real terms, we'll say, maybe. From I, mean, I think it would be a fairly flat year if I had to just make a random guess um, with some volatility in between. Uh, that, that, that's my that's my kind of very random guess. 5% five negative real returns. Uh, yeah, I, I the think um, I'm pretty in line with you there i think we've got a pretty flat year coming up um i wouldn't be surprised up five down five somewhere kind of around there yeah yeah um, <laughs> this is emptying complete speculation but if i had to pick i'd say say down three or four percent just so i'm a little bit different than jack's five <laughs> all right sure a little bit <laughs> Brad, come on come on i'm gonna be way different the, yeah. the, uh, the guilty pleasure. Well, this is good i, I like this feels like a safe way to to get our speculation out, right? Appreciate this. <laughs> it's a safe space. Um, I'm going to say we're down 15. Big bad year. Okay. In, in nominal terms or real terms? Does it matter? <laughs> Let's just go the index, I think, just specifically. What yeah. is okay, this? Right. Easy, easy and, what's, yeah. a, what's the uh, posted inflation rate, we'll say in the US mm -hmm. to keep it consistent? Uh, the posted CPI for the year. What is it now? Better. It's, uh, it's about 7%. Anyone want to tackle that one first? That's hard. I'm going to guess it's the same. Because the government's going to keep spending and they're not going to raise rates high enough because they don't want to break things. That's my guess. That's probably going to flat year and not a bad year. Uh, yeah. uh, not a super bad year. That's my guess. If I had to just like... Because like, so much could be completely wrong there, but <laughs> I'll say five percent. I think maybe it's a little lower. slows down a little bit, but still meaningful. Yeah, I like same. Okay, so so we're we're all guessing consistent inflation still. All right, well we'll uh, return to that in a year's time. <laughs> okay, let's do one last one since um, I'm seeing China pop up. Let's do K Web, which is the Chinese kind of oh, tech God. area. Since we all pay attention to that slightly. Yeah, slightly is the is is the what, keyword. What is K Web on the year? Yeah, probably flattish. It's probably oh no, it's, yeah, it's probably down a fair bit. I'll have a look. I yeah. I I almost want to say it's going to be up because if all the lockdown stuff ends, or or because uh, I know that they have some pretty harsh lockdowns right now, at least that we know about. <laughs> um, uh, 
Down know. 16% year to date. I have a feeling it'll be slightly up, like a couple percent. Um, maybe even more if there's some big catalyst somewhere. Uh, it could easily be very down, though. This is a pretty volatile pick, I would think. I'm going to say a couple percent up in real terms. I'll go. It's not that important of a decision, guys. What do you got? Up 5%, maybe even more. I think it has a better year than the S&P 500. Better than the S&P and up more. Fair. Okay. Yeah, I'll go go up 10. Okay. All right. There you have it. So uh, we'll see how bad or amazing these predictions are. (laughs) So I'll just um, put Brad out there as very bullish China. He said US or S&P down 10 to 15%. Yeah. China Tech up 10. Yeah, yep. for sure. Going with the extremes here. I like it. <laughs> um, cool. Final, final thoughts. Um, oh, I didn't give my stock lessons um, or themes. Uh, I guess If I had to pick a one stock that if you could say I learned the most on, or at least that's coming to mind. Turtle uh, Beach. Maybe, <coughs> turtle yeah, beach. I was going to say the Turtle Beach cycle. There's something in your throat, Frank. You yeah, so have a drink. You need to have a punch, Frank. Um, <laughs> but buying, and you had kind of warned about it a while ago. It just because you, I know you'd looked at a lot of gaming companies in general and, and kind of adjacent to that space. Um, buying at the top of a cycle is not a very good idea, and it did seem like pretty close to the top of a cycle at the very least. Um, it was definitely a fairly sharp drop off um, industry wide. That I, even if. Uh, anyways, I, I bought I bought towards the top of the cycle. I'd be I'm going to be more cognizant of that going forward with more cyclical stocks. Being very careful because a lot of times you'll see the price to earnings uh, multiple and earnings multiples drop a big in a big way because earnings are inflated for some reasons. The top of the cycle, people see that coming. Um, just pump the brakes there and ask. All right, is this really a cycle or what is this? You know, so that, that's kind of a big lesson that I take away from that. Um, but then I, uh, the overarching theme is what's definitely going to be the theme of 2023. Um, yeah, Luis says I bought at the top of the uh, turtle shell. Yes, I did. Uh, um, <laughs> Good um, one, Luis. But, uh, the overarching theme is definitely the f- focus on a private business acquisition and, and, and building out, we'll call it building out the hold, the hold co, um, starting mm. with one one business, maybe it's only one business in the long term, but the probably hold hold co, I like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's all set up that way. You, you have you have the top of a hold co that now owns that owns the entity that's going to be making this purchase. Um, so it's set up. If I want to add more um, layers to it, or add more, uh, just like I have my property set up, you can add more entities below it, and it's officially it's officially a holding company. Um, Is it set up to take outside investment at this point, Jack? Uh, so I haven't talked with the securities attorney and that's not my <laughs> wheelhouse, but um, I don't think there's anything you really do with the entity unless you want to do something like, like make an actual fund. Um, then it can get kind of complicated. Uh, Cause you can, I know with real estate, you can do like kind of a partnership format um, or you can do a fund or you can do a debt fund. So there's other ways to bring in outside capital. I'm not looking to do that quite yet. I should build up a bit of a track record first before I do anything like that. Um, both for my own sanity and also for the sake of other people. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yes, it is technically a holding company. So, and I do envision buying at least some other businesses in the future, uh, even if it's only, you know, a couple more from here. Uh, but we'll see what actually happens. We'll see how my experience is. And 
um, one step at a time, I guess. I'm always thinking long-term, thinking about the next deal, but you got to slow down sometimes. Right. The, the next Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, yeah right, right. Yeah. Just let me do this for 90 years and then I'll be there <laughs> in no time. <laughs> Everyone who was called the next Warren Buffett this last year or the last two years was completely destroyed. Um, I didn't mean to jinx you there. Yeah, yeah, we won't curse you with that, Jack. Moth was the next Warren Buffett. Sam Bateman Fried is the Warren Buffett of crypto and and so on. All, all the next Warren Buffets get destroyed. So <laughs> got to be careful. Um, but uh, yeah, if you not even have a fraction of that kind of success, that'd be very wonderful. So um, yeah. Any final thoughts? Anything else? Um, eat, drink, and be merry. Happy New yeah. Year. Enjoy yourselves. Yeah, should I um, should play some uh, Old Lang Syne to close us out? Hmm. Really great. You're cutting out. You're cutting out, Jack. Yeah, we, we can't hear you, Jack. Oh, no. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can now. Okay, great. I was just saying, I wanted to thank everyone for a great 2022. And for some reason, the music, I think the music was throwing it off. But um, thanking everyone for a great 2022. We're going to have a great 2023. It's going to be tremendous. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> the, the best 2023 is what we're going to have. It was a rocky 2022 for a lot of people, I know. We're, we're looking for positive returns, of course. Looking for great deals. And we're going to be there for the whole the whole ride. We got Berkshire's annual meeting coming up in a few months. So if nothing else, we got that to look forward to. But we'll be here every week. So um, with that said, check out all the stuff in the description. Like, comment, subscribe. You know what to do. And until next time, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to Punch Card Investing. The contents of this show should not be used as investment advice or as a recommendation to invest in a particular security. Please consult with a licensed investment advisor if you need investment advice. All investments carry risk and the potential for monetary loss. Thank you and see you next week.